0: Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Filthy Lip Out Golf Podcast with myself, Kit Alexander and the living legend, the West Country Wizard, Mr. John E. Morgan. John, it's been an incredible week in golf. Uh, Let's start on the European tour, I think, is a guy who we both know very well. Um, Had a real breakthrough performance, Richard Mansell, second place in the Uram Bank Open. Um, yeah. We know him pretty well. Were you surprised to see him up there in contention on, on a European slash Challenge Tour event so quickly?
1: No, I'm not surprised. I mean, we've seen him on the PGA Europe Road Tour and, you know, he's shown us his skills, his relaxation, you know, where he is, his demeanour on a golf course, the go get him attitude as well. But I think what surprises me in general is just after such a, a gruelling lockdown like we've been through with COVID-19 is how how different people might react through the lockdown and. You know, how they might bounce back out of it. You know, you never know if you're going to be the same person again, same kind of player. You don't know what kind of effects. It affects different people in different ways. Um, I mean, we were blessed that we were able to go to a golf course and at least practice. I seen he had a little net in his garden, was doing little demonstrations, which was good. And um, head button a golf ball, probably give him a headache. And then, um, what was it? You know, stuff like that. So it was nice to see him up there. It doesn't surprise me. Uh, he's a guy who just loved birdies and eagles. And, uh, yeah. I was over the moon to see him right up there at the top, and yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of that, though, Kit.
0: Yeah, I agree. He's a quality player. You could see the moment he came on to the Euro Pro Tour. He, he has a swagger. The way he walks. Proper that,
1: swagger. Even Proper even after swagger.
0: sort of a bogey, he's got a swagger. But you watch him walk off the green after an eagle or a birdie. It's like Conor McGregor walking into a ring almost. He really <laughs> he has that confidence, that aura on the golf course. Um, and I think he just needed to learn how to win. He always had the low numbers in him. He shot 59, I believe, at college in America. So he's always made these numbers. He needed to learn his trade, if you like, which is what the Euro Pro Tour is all about. His first season there, a couple of runners-up finishes or got into contention and never quite got it done. He had a, a bit of an ongoing battle with Dave Coupland, who seems to just edge him every time. And then in his second season, yeah. he just absolutely flourished. Um, And it's no real surprise, I don't think, to see him challenging because he always had the game that was good enough and would translate to a higher level. Challenge tour, European tour. And and to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised to see it go beyond the European tour if he did want to go back over to America eventually or or when he does start to perhaps get towards the majors. I, I don't see a real weakness in his game. It's not like he's got one overwhelming strength and then there's other little weaknesses. He's very, very good right across the board and importantly i think his putting holds up under pressure which for a lot of these young guns they've got great swings they hit it a long way and sometimes the putts don't drop in a final round and you can't really say that's the case with richard from what we've seen he does seem to try to keep everything going um i'm really pleased to see him contending it shows just how ready these guys are to come out um who else do you think might break through in these next six weeks because the fields, there's a lot of names in there that people might not be familiar with. Obviously, we've got the British Masters teeing off tomorrow, Lee Westwood headlining it as the host, Eddie Pepperell is in there as well, guys like that. But there's a really good opportunity for a few guys who aren't quite in the top 100 in the world rankings, the top 50 in the world rankings, or normally contending in the race to Dubai, to make a real little run over these six events because the real, real big names aren't there. Who, Who have you got your eye on?
1: It's an awkward one, right? I, I uh, you know, I, I have a soft spot for the bullet, Marcus Armitage. Um, you know, I followed him at the SA Open, and that was an am- amazing achievement, what he'd done there, to be able to get his Open Championship or get through. So next year, we'll see him in that, you know. Uh, you know, I'm sure that just rolls over like it has done. But, you know, Marcus is a flamboyant, lovable character. Um, I think that's a golf course that actually will really suit him uh, close house. I really do. He's able to get driver out. He's able he won to be on the bit... Euro pro tour as well. He did. He won on the Euro pro tour. And this is a kind of path that Richard looks like he's on as well. So, you know, it's um, going back to Richard Mansell, you know, he's doing exactly like Aaron Rye's done, you know, all the boys have done, you know, Marcus, you know, coming through the Challenge Tour and showing their, showing what they're all capable of and then getting on to the main tour. Jordan Smith, exactly the same. You know, I've been listening, I've been watching a lot of Jordan Smith over on, the, you know, on his social media, you know, what he's practising at. And he's a great practiser, great swinger of the golf ball. We know what a talent he is and wouldn't be surprised that he comes out of the gates pretty fast. I think Close House will suit him as well. There's a lot of lot of players. I remember watching Rory when I, I did my on course in there for the first time when it was at Close House and that was spectacular in there. You know, I was following Rory and then I, I stayed at the back of the green after he finished and seen Paul Dunn hold the bunker shot on the last hole. and well you know couldn't paint a better picture on the eighteenth. I mean it's a, it's actually the fourth in main play. Oh, what's this?
0: Bah-hey! We've got a special guest who's just appeared in our Zoom meeting. Mr. Nicholas Colvard's one absolute honour. Of course, a hero of the miracle at Medina, three-time European Tour winner, and I know you and John go way back. So before we get into all the good stuff of your career, when was the first time you met John Morgan, and what are your memories of uh, his first impression?
2: I remember John. John and I we go long way back. Uh, we used to play amateur events, and the first time I really remember spending time with John was. Either in Spain or Portugal, I think Portugal. We played the Portuguese amateur, and it was him, and he used to travel with David Dixon quite a bit. And uh, uh, we hit it off right away. Uh, we seemed to enjoy each other's company uh, uh, <laughs> together, party together, play golf together. It was just uh, John was a little bit uh, uh, like uh, like a man crush, like a lot of people still. <laughs> John, you
1: know, John is still one of my men crushes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Nick. I love it. Wait, I, I was uh, I was reminiscing Portugal. I remember what a windy... I forget which golf course we were at, but I remember it was the hardest golf course in the wind, and you went out and shot... I think you were, like, 16 years old, and you shot, like, 67, obliterated the field, and then the wind disappeared the next day, and you shot, like, 77. It was like, what's happened there? Yeah, so I...
2: I shot 66 on the first round of qualifying, and I hit rounds on the last. (laughs) Eight under on the 18th tee. Made 66. I think I shot 77 the next day. Just made the cut on the number and lost, like, 7 and 6 the first round. (laughs) So, it's a little bit like like the story of my life, like, from the penthouse to the shithouse in a very small amount of time. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, a lesson
0: mate. for all golfers there, that's how it goes for most of us, but at the top level, I guess, it's uh, yeah. most different They're even more stark.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're going to come back to some more stories in a minute, Nick, but uh, I want to ask you, I said, when's, when's it all starting for you, man, for the European tour? Is it this week? Is it next week? When's it happening?
2: Uh, well, I decided not to go to close House. Uh, for various reasons, uh, so I will play. I went to Austria two weeks ago. I played the first one in Austria just to get some sort of idea of uh, of what it was going to be like. Um, but I'm going to go to Forest of Arden uh, because I've been to Forest of aden before. We used to play uh, British Masters or English Open back in the day there 15 years ago, and this was quite nice. Uh, then I'm going to go to Embury Manor the week after. Uh, And uh, Celtic Manor, there's two weeks at Celtic Manor. I think two weeks on the trot will be a bit too much. So I'm just going to play the second one. Uh, And then the Belfry also, quite an an iconic venue, of course, in the UK, Ryder Cup and all that stuff. B&H back in the day. Um, And uh, so I'm going to play four out of the the six on the the schedule. How's your game feeling at the moment, Nick? Uh, well, I guess uh, you're going to come across two types of players. Uh, you're going to come across <laughs> the players that are eager to go and everything's going to fall place right away. And you're going to be the one that uh, – or you're going to have the ones that will feel a little bit rough, just uh, not game-wise, but more competitive-wise and, and going back to – like, it's funny. I mean, we've all been doing it for like – or some, in our case, have been doing it for 15, 20 years. But you forget the, the routine and the and the – and what puts you in a good place uh, in, a, in a tournament week. So I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. It's a bit strange to go back to tournament mode when I went to Austria. The game is, is never really that far off. Uh, but it's just like these little things that change an uh, average week into a, into a good one.
0: How much of a difference did the lack of fans around the course make to you? I imagine you're someone that does thrive on the emotion and, and getting that energy behind you.
2: Well, I mean, if you're not Rory, Michael, Roy, Dustin Johnson, uh, or in Europe, uh, Justin Rose and Henry Sensen, it's not like you really have a horde of people following you when you play at eight o'clock on a Thursday. So, uh, I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, uh, you just accept the situation or, or whatever uh, a different aspect of what our life is going to be like uh, for the time being. You you, you just accept it. The- for what it is I and mean, it's just like wearing masks and in shops and stuff like that it's just a habit that you take so I think playing in front of uh, nobody uh, is going to make a, a huge difference for, for the big majority of playing. when you play, uh, when you play in, in, in Europe I mean the UK are usually tournaments where there's a, a big following yes it, it will be a bit different but
1: uh, it is what it is, and you just got to accept the situation. How's, uh, how's the family, mate? And uh, Aussie Bright, he's been doing some seriously magical stuff over in uh, Thailand, hasn't he? You'll it. Yeah. I mean, like, talk us through it. Well, I mean, the people that know Brian
2: are, are not really surprised. I mean, he's, he's one of the yeah. boys. He's loyal. Um, I mean, just for the fact that we've been together for 10 years, uh, you know, we... We have allowed each other to live special things, and I think that's why we're still together. We have a mutual respect, and I think it, it gets translated into what he's been able to do in, in Thailand with with helping the locals of where he was doing all this confinement. Uh, I, I don't think uh, people that know him were really surprised, uh, and uh, yeah, fair play to him, right? I think he, uh, or even people that didn't know him now kind of really understand the, the person he really is. Just for people that don't know, what exactly has he been doing
0: over in Thailand? I mean, it's loads of charity work, isn't it?
2: Well, yeah. So he was, um, so he flew back to Thailand after Qatar, and um, he actually secluded or or confined. I think he was it was not Koh Chang or it's one of the islands uh, in, in in Thailand. And uh, since the hotels and everything have been closed, these people have no work. It's basically the only the only source of income, and people didn't have eat Um, so he started to uh, with the help of others his wife has been uh, been involved in the process as well But uh, they've been able to to gather food uh, and um, and people sending sending money for uh, for him to set up uh, this uh, this distribution of uh, food to locals i don't know if you guys saw the videos but uh, you see them handing these plastic bags with uh, with uh, with go and all that kind of stuff and you can just see I mean for people that have been to Thailand I mean they already know what sort of emotion you get from people over there but when you uh different dimension knowing that they had nothing to uh, to chew on for a couple of weeks and
1: uh, yeah I mean
2: uh, you, you can see on the images there's a there's a, lo- a lot of emotions you
1: can read on the screen brilliant mate I mean going back to our playing days just skipping back to that I was um recalling um when we were in uh, Miami We came over for a bit of practice And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, we've done a bit of practice, probably not as much as we should have. Uh, I remember us scooting up to play uh, Arworth. I remember remember a four ball in front of us was Tiger and O'Meara, and uh, they were playing for some serious dough, but we couldn't compete with them. We were playing with Ty Tryon, and I forget the one other. I do, but I think we might have picked him at the post, I think. I I don't remember the fourth, but I do remember Ty, and you're probably going to tell the rest of the story. (laughs) <laughs> well, mate, I, I remember we hired a, was it a Ferrari or a Porsche? I mean, we were new to the game and I didn't have a car. And you were like, you looked at my place and I didn't even have a TV. So you went and bought me a TV, a big like projector screen TV thing. And you just put it there and you went, Hey John. Because I just listen to music all day long. As you can tell I'm a music man. So just like yourself, mate. But I was trying to find that CD the other day, your mixed uh, CD. The one that you did is DJing. And I got it somewhere. I've seen it. I've put it down and now I can't find it and I'm going to send it to you. And if you can get the scratches out of it because it's been seriously used, you know, you can start <laughs> pumping out your old tunes again, you know. But uh, I remember us renting, a, renting up a really nice car, driving north, straight up to Orlando, having, you know, playing around Isleworth, which was amazing, wasn't it? It was amazing. I mean, what a place to be. And then we drove back willy-nilly straight down and then got on it again on the beach watching ladies volleyball. I, I, I remember the, the the day we played at Alworth we were playing
2: against Thai and we cleaned him, absolutely cleaned him. And we we had rented a, a Porsche convertible. That's and it. he had the drive through p.m. right behind him and he's <laughs> taking all the cash he can get out of these credit cards and we're at the back in the convertible <laughs> There was the money <somebody>, man <laughs> It was incredible. But yeah, so I, I got to John's place, in Miami, when John was staying in America. And, and he lived in this amazing place at the end of Ocean Drive. And uh, I'm like, okay, John, so uh, where are your wheels? He's like, wheels? I don't do wheels. I, 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 I do everything in a taxi. I'm like, seriously? I mean, look at this place and you don't have a car. All right, give me the yellow pages. We ended up renting first a Porsche convertible for a couple of weeks. And then John really wanted a, a Hummer. So we also rented that Hummer. <laughs> did we? Oh, my God. Sounds like you were sort of John's life guru in his early days on tour. I mean, I'm like, uh, oh, the guy out, the guy wants a, the guy wants a Hummer, I'm, I'm like, I can't be seen in a Hummer. That's just, that doesn't fly, dude. But, I but, mean, yeah, speaking
0: but, of nice cars, you, you live in Monaco now, right, Nick? That there must be some good cars. What's life like around there?
2: Well, yeah, the lesson is, I don't, you don't really see a lot of Hummers in Monaco <laughs> in no. the 10 years. So they're not the trend anymore. But. But, uh, but, yeah, Monaco is, a, is an incredible place. Yeah. I, I cannot think of any place except maybe Mayfair or Hong Kong where you see Rolls-Royces or McLarens in the street. I mean, you, you see a McLaren every half an hour, which, uh, which is, uh,
1: doesn't really happen that much. Oh, no, Port Head. Z Head's exactly the same, mate. Porter's Head is exactly the same. You see tractors, you know, everything like that. Combine harvesters, you know, I mean, it's up there with the, with the Porsches and the Lambos. It, you know,
0: I, was, I was just outside I mean, like Peterborough the other day. Someone rocked
1: up in a tuk-tuk,
2: so I mean, <laughs> I love a love a tuk-tuk. I Go on, Nick. But no, uh, no. I mean, I, I remember that, that month in in Miami with you. And it was it was uh, it was it was quite a bit of fun. I remember hitting balls through the, through the window as well. Uh, ah! in the Atlantic and uh, meeting one of your good friends, Les Garland, one of the guys that founded MTV, playing golfing every day. And, like, I mean, John has always been a. a, a people's man so he was uh, you know where I remember playing with Les and, uh, and the assistant coach from the Miami Heat one of your good friends as well was
1: it? Yeah, or- Keith, you know Keith Askins he was about seven foot he was a defensive coach for the Miami Heat so he used to get some tickets and off to go and watch LeBron James and you know um, well, you yeah, had the Shack was there for a while so i got to watch him it was unbelievable absolutely unbelievable Dwayne Wade oh mate he was dreamy dreamy stuff I think we I'm went sure. to a game
2: I'm not sure Miami was the perfect venue for you to live in the U.S. I think somebody like you, I would have, I would have just get a cabin in the middle of nowhere and, and next to a field so you can practice a bit more. Miami was a bit too much
1: playground. <laughs> yeah. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, Nick. But I remember I remember this, uh, It's a bit of a tour tale. So I'll tell, I'll tell you this one. So um, it wasn't an Elm tour, but me and Nick had gone out and played with Les Garland and Keith Askins. And we come to this beautiful par five and it's... Uh, it was, a, it was a golf course called La on South Beach, and absolutely immaculate. It's something like 75 grand, 80 grand to be a member there. I mean, so you could imagine, it's a bit plus. Anyway, we got on this par five, and he's got this amazing Minzuno driver at the time. He's a big blue you head, lovely <laughs> blue head, which yes. I have.
2: I still have, two, I still have both of them at home. I still do. Do you,
1: mate? How good are they? I, he's probably the best looking driver ever. Anyway, so he's just done a Nicholas, <laughs> straight down the middle, miles. And uh, it's a tough shot, a little angled green into the water and stuff like that. And I've just egged him on. I said, look, there's come over here. You know, and he's found founded MTV and he's out with, like, live aid and stuff like this. And he's come over. I said, what's that? I said, what's this? Nick, do your two-arm trick, man. So Nick gets his two-arm, you know, starts keeping it up like Tiger Woods used to do, flips it up in the air. And he says, what do you want, fade or draw? He goes, fade. Over the water it goes, big fade, lands on the green. <laughs> Happy days. And Les is like, what the hell was that? What, what did I just see? And then all of a sudden, the camera of the fairway goes in off the right-hand side and actually where you could run it in, but you've got to seriously bend it. And he, Les is like, show me that again. I can't believe what i just seen. That You know, it's like a Tom and Jerry show. You know, it's being made up. Anyway, so he says, right, I'm in a low draw. Went right there. Up it goes. Connects. Absolutely pierces it. Low banana. Scuttles up. Goes on the green again. Like 238 with a two iron but a knife, two arm and zero neck, two arm, and, and it was miraculous. Do you remember that, Nick?
2: I don't remember that time, but I, I do remember doing that with Nick Doherty, Sam Dice, Simon Dice, and other in, in a practice round at the Houghton in South Africa as well. 15, the par five, and I'm hitting hit this two iron also from maybe 220 or something. Two iron straight up in here. I used to be able when I used to connect, I, I, I used to be able to hit this thing, maybe, yeah, two. Two thirty on the fly and, and just landed yeah. like like a butterfly was so feet. yeah it was uh, I mean they, those are my old you know hockey skills you know that's the sort of stuff that you learned on the on, on the hockey field when you're
1: young yeah was that what you used to play was it a lot of hockey mate before golf yeah so my father my father played
2: first division hockey for twenty five years in Belgium and I'm the 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 first. Sport that I was introduced to was was hockey. I mean, dad was playing you know, the, the Sunday league matches, and uh, I was as, as soon as I could walk, I had a hockey stick in my hand, and just walking around like like the kids. So that was my first introduction to to uh, to instrument ball sports, and. Uh, and then getting to golf at six years old. But uh, my, my first sport was, uh, was hockey. I still keep in contact with the, the boys at home. When we went to the Olympics, there's still guys in the team that, my, that their fathers played with my father. And it's kind of like a a small, a small world in, in, in Belgium. So at the Olympics, it was amazing. We got to go into the bus with, to, 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 to the games. And, and uh, they beat Holland in semis, which is, our, of course, our big rival. And, and yeah, it was absolutely amazing. to To come back from a semi um olympic game with your nation with so well friends let's say uh, and see the boys do that as a team and come back in the bus with all of them like singing and chanting at the back and it was, <laughs> it was an incredible moment it's great cool. uh, <laughs> okay, okay. But was the Olympics
0: nice. must have been awesome for you because that's something that as a golfer especially as a kid you'd never have thought you'd be playing in the olympics representing your country at golf how was that whole experience
2: it was it was amazing. I mean, my I have Olympic history as well because my great grandfather involved in Olympic, you know, early century. And uh, my my aunt uh, gave me one of his uh, well, his he, he had a like Olympic rings little badge uh, which was 100 years old, and she gave him to me before I before I went over there. And I I played the the whole tournament with this little badge on my bag and everything. And, and funny enough, like you like. I never knew the guy. I knew his his, his wife, my great grandmother, that I I, I knew uh, very. She lived at home with us, and I was I was really really tight. Um, and uh, playing the last hole on Sunday, I don't know, I got hit by this by this burst of emotion because uh, she was quite important in my life. I lost her when I was 18, and she's the reason. I mean, I've said this in an interview before. That I I lost her the, the, the week I was at the Junior Ryder right? Cup. Uh, when I was over in the U.S. and I, I swore that day that I was going to play the, 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 the Radic of the Real thing for her. And so I kind of had, kinda had a, a tight connection, but I'm playing this, the 18th on Sunday at uh, the, the Olympics and I never knew the guy, but I uh, started to have like tears in my eyes just walking up 18 and it was like a, a really, really big rush of emotions. Uh, and as a sports fan going to the Olympics for starters, I mean, like, it's, it's an incredible thing. And, I mean, we're lucky. We're golfers. We, we do a, a decent living if you're good enough. but You don't have to be top twenty in the world to make a living. And you we'll see these boys in the swimming pool, training four years for a for a, for a forty second, fifty second minute sprint, and then they don't have anything else except the world championship for for a couple of years. It's uh, you realize
1: how lucky you are. You oh, well, sorry, mate.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna have
1: to you go with this there one.
0: about the Ryder Cup. And uh, well, that came true in spades in 2012. I mean, when you hear the phrase miracle at Medina, what emotion does that bring back for you?
2: Uh, every hair in my body stands up. I, it's incredible every time. I mean, of course, throughout these last couple of months, definitely, there's been a lot of reruns and everything. In it. Um, of course, I'm uber proud of, of, of what I was able to do on that first day, but to be able to 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 live this okay i'm i'm a professional golfer i do an individual sport and everything but when you think of, of being part of a or even just witness a, a a sporting miracle like it was called in that way it, it, it's just unbelievable and to be part of it and, and to be recognized as one of the actors is uh is of course something that makes me very proud and like i said i'm I. Like, I hear the thing, my, my mind is, is, is still there, even though it's eight years ago now. I mean, I, I feel like I'm there again, it's pretty cool.
1: I mean, I was glued to the box, Nick, and uh, ultra proud that I've known you for a long time and seen you on the box, and then obviously, opening up with, you know, playing alongside Lee Westwood, who's the host at Close House this week, and then Tiger Woods and Stricker, and then pretty much, without raining on Westwood's parade, you know, single handedly taking out two of the big guns in the US team. I mean, mate, I, I had goosebumps. So I can only imagine what your mum and dad must have been feeling like um, and yourself. But, mate, how, how good was that? And talk us through that round in general. It was amazing. How long have we got? Because I remember everything. <laughs> as long as mate, you want. You, can, you crack on, dude, because this is mental and up. the best thing since sliced bread. Go for it. I
2: mean, the, the, the thing with that first round is after, or well, beside the fact that on the first hole, you see yourself hitting it 50 yards and my knees and hands <laughs> were going everywhere and uh, uh, the ball was blur and I'm, hit, I'm in this T shirt on the first. And I get on the green and I hit this first putt and it just shaves the hole and I'm still shaking from the first tee which was 15 minutes before. And I go up to Westwood and I tell him, honey, I got a feeling that my senses. Then, <laughs> then, then, second hole made birdie. Third hole, I hit this horseshoe that came back at me where I gave it a step. Fourth hole, I hit 20, what, 35 feet with maybe six feet of break downhill. Next hole made birdie. Uh, I mean, it was just like one after the other. Like, you know, you have these rounds and you've had them before. Like probably, you know, as as much as we have. I mean, you were capable of going, of going pretty blind, like you're uh, in the zone for for, for 18 holes in, in your prime. But uh, it was just one thing after the other. It kept on, uh, it kept on happening. And uh, and and to have somebody like Westwood next to you, who's not saying anything, like he's seeing this thing. I and mean, he knows something is going on, but he's not saying anything. It's not like he's he went, like doing good, man, blah, blah 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 of that stuff, like he just let you he, go. He won, and I'm sure he did this very consciously, as in, like he, he basically just rode the horse uh, till till the end. Um, I mean, there's there's that situation on 15 where he gives the putt to Strider, so Tiger, you know, has to to then putt after me. There was a huge moment in the game as well, and and then the the only thing is after I hold that I don't know 40 foot or 30 foot on 17, I felt like I had done everything. And then on 18, we're both on the fairway, Westwood and I. He's got an 8-iron and he hits it long right dead. I'm like, dude, I mean, I've been doing everything here. You're supposed to be, you've got the armband in this team and, and you can't even hit this green with an 8-iron. Like, come on. So I still had work to do on the 18th hole. And, uh, but anyway, it's history now and, and, uh, and I'm telling him on the 18th screen as well. I, when Tiger had you know, maybe 15 feet to, to half the match, I'm like, I don't know I have the balls to watch this. And he's like, might as well watch it, you know. <laughs> <And the> next, <laughs> Tiger misses and uh, and the uh, and, uh, point in the bank for Europe, which was, uh, I mean, you can see on the images, I can see like, yeah, I'm like, oh, it's just like, <laughs> God, this is over. <laughs> yeah. There was nothing when, left. When in.
0: you're in that moment, when you're going through it, obviously you mentioned you're in the zone. Like, are you aware that something so special is going on? Or... Are you just so in that moment that it's not until you you get in afterwards and kind of, I guess, the the tension and the pressure gets released that you go, wow, I've just done something
2: incredible there? Well, you have to keep in mind that I'm playing Tiger and Stricker. So, (laughs) not like you can just go. (whistles) (laughs) I mean, like, there's still, when there was meat on the bone, you had to go for it. Uh, Or you had to keep going till the end. Uh, so, no, I mean, I, I remember Darren, you know, driving with us on, on the cart and, uh, and I remember his face on 10 where I hit, the 10th, I hit a four and to maybe five feet on, on 10. And he's looking at me and I can see on his face like he's smiling. Like I mean, he's, he's, he's enjoying watching it. So when you have got guys... With CVs like that and writing resumes like that, you know, or seeing somebody doing something quite incredible or remarkable, you you do kind of know, or you but you can't fall into the oh wow this is really happening and, and take it lightly. You you still have to keep your, your foot down. You know it's and the atmosphere makes it rough because you're getting shouted all day by drunken Americans. So yeah you. You you want to make a point, uh, and that was my goal in the week. It's like, I'm in this, yes, I, I deserve my pick, yes, but I still have to prove myself. So uh, that's probably something I'm also really proud of, is being, I haven't been able to keep the, the the head down on on the task that, or the mission that I, I, I was on.
0: Yeah, you say you wanted to get one point, and some points are more important than others, and. In the context of that match, that point was to basically stop America sweeping that afternoon and really that that kind of kept you in it. How significant at the time did it feel? And looking back now and obviously how the rest of that week played out, how important was that, that the best probably 18 holes of your life were there and at that moment?
2: Well, I I think in in general for the week, yes, it, it made a difference on the first day. I didn't really... Uh, I was doing my thing, so I didn't really pay attention. I didn't even know when I was playing that it could be a clean sweep by the U.S. Uh, I, I still think that um, that the, the 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 biggest two points were the one on Saturday, Luke and and Sergio and uh, Holtz and and Rory. These were the two really big points that kept us. Sort of in the race and gave us that momentum boost that everybody has been talking about for eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, yes, it, it, it was more. I'm I'm going to talk selfishly here, but it was it was a huge personal satisfaction to to be able to walk into the locker room after that game and have everybody looked at me the, the, the way they did. I think they all knew I was I was good and I was capable of doing uh, extraordinary things. But you, you never know what how people are gonna to react to, uh, to their first time round. Uh, so I think that's, that's something to be really proud of. Yeah, what was the reaction? Was
0: there like just, had it changed how people spoke to you and reacted to you
2: after that? Uh, no, not the way they spoke or the way they were with me, but the, the, I think looks, yeah, usually. You, you, um, I remember, I remember, Poulter coming up to me on uh, on, on the 18th green. I, I remember him quite clearly with uh, with a volcano in his eyes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and I uh, also remember the the, the 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 funniest the funniest one and, and that really talked to me was uh, was Luke. So we made it back to the, to the hotel. So this is maybe two hours after, two and a, two and a half hours after. And uh, I get into the team room and I'm, I'm at the buffet serving myself a plate. And he comes up next to me. He looks at me and goes, so did you have fun? I <laughs> <laughs> love it. I thought that was really good. I mean, we all, we all know Luke. You know, Luke is a, is, is a different cat than most. And I think it was a, it was a very funny, intelligent uh, comment to, uh, to say to me.
1: Come on then, the dirt, mate. What was Ollie's speech all about after the miracle at Medina? The final, you got over the got over the final line, you won it. Come on, show the emotions. What was Ollie like, mate? It must have been unbelievable. I don't. Well, I, I don't remember exactly uh, a,
2: a speech that was done on Sunday night. Uh, most of this, the, the the meetings that we had during the week. Uh, I think we all had an idea of how much the meant to him uh, yeah. when he when he told everyone uh, on Thursday night before the first day that he would happily exchange his two green jackets to play one more of those. We were just like, okay, this is heavy, uh, and you can you can tell on the images when 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 the match is done and. Or oh, when Keimer holds his, his put for, for a half, you can just see it. It's, it's, it's just a huge relief for him. I think it would have been a, a very... It would have been a, a black line on his CV to have not been able to be a successful captain after his hugely successful playing career. And I think he would have been something that that would have tarnished his... Um, his his resume and I think you can just tell with the tears and everything in the locker room. I I, I was in the locker room when you get back into the locker room, everybody's jumping everywhere and everybody is like a twelve year old. Um and I remember being in a corner with him and I remember we hugging each other and then Westwood and Paul came those images being seen on documentaries and stuff and you can see the the four the the, the three of them in tears in each other's arms because like proper tears like not like just tears of joy Uh, now remember i'm I'm just seeing this thing right in front of me and i'm like this is incredible i mean to be able to live and be a witness this close of 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 monuments of 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 writer camp history like being uh, such an, an emotional moment was—I never like my head. Right. Yes, you go, <laughs> mate. It's gone on air mate. It's on fire. Woo! Electrified. But uh, but no, like I mean, like playing for such an emblematic captain uh, has made my experience even more
1: uh, fulfilling. Yeah, I don't doubt about that, mate. I mean, you got a lot of golf coming up now. We'll come off for that a little bit, but uh, I just got to ask you a question. If there's ever a doubles game going on, right? You know, somewhere in the world, am I all right to be your partner once again? We do it one more time, one time only.
2: Well, if I if I was if I myself had to play against you and I, I wouldn't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, mate, we're, we're going to have to try and make that happen, boss, because, uh, you know, I've been playing a little bit. I'm going to, I'm not going to lie. I've been mean, up, Cleetton, you've been to this place. You helped me move into my pad round, the, round the corner, actually. I remember that. I think you put your back out. You know, we were lifting up things up three flights of stairs to try and get me in there. But no, I've been playing a little bit, mate. And, uh, you know, I'm fancying my chances. You know what I mean? I think I could hold me in with you. You know, I'd be a decent partner, a bit like a Lee Westwood in a Ryder Cup. Well, you don't sure even need
0: to come on four holes like Lee did, and you know Nick can just take care of the other four fourteen with yeah,
1: I'm uh, fine eight that. birdies <laughs> and eagles.
2: So, everyone's got four good holes in them, right? See, I'm sick and tired of having to carry English golf on my shoulders. Okay, <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> Belgium for 20 years. Like, you know, just give me a bit of break here. <laughs> and how is Belgium golf then, Nick? How is Belgium golf in general? I mean, you got. Thomas, yeah, both the Thomases there. I mean, uh, you got any more young blood coming up and through that we you got to keep our eagle eyes on.
2: I think there are two. Uh, I'm I'm not uh, that close to any of them, but uh, I think there are two uh, who are playing for the same college, uh, same university in America that Peters and that we went to in Illinois. Uh, that will most likely have a chance, uh, but it's going to take a few years. Uh, they first have to finish their uh, Their 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 college uh, uh, education or or whatever you want to call it over there, but uh, I think there are two young guys that are very capable of uh, of being out on tour. Yeah. What what are the
0: uh, the main just so I can write them down for to get ahead of the bookies and get some make some money.
2: (laughs) Uh, One's called Adrien Dumont de Chasseur Yeah. Try and write that one down. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one is (laughs) called Kyrdek (laughs) Abivandra. Uh Adrian Dumont chassard and the other one is called Julio. Uh, the other one is called uh, Giovanni Tadio So these two are 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 the the, the next promising Belgian golf players.
0: Wait, well, uh, yourself. What was that French Open win like? After what had been a pretty tough time for you to just get back in the winner's circle at another Ryder Cup venue?
2: Well, it. I mean, I have a long history with the with the French Open because I'm French-speaking. Because I've 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 been going to Paris uh, since I was really young. Uh, uh, you know, in Belgium, we grew up with French television, so we 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 are very close to the French culture, um, and uh, I've always been. Uh, uh, not welcome, but well, yes, welcome. But uh, but respected in France because I was like carrying the, the French speaking flag in Poland when they when the French generation had a bit of a dip, uh, and um, and and going to the Ryder Cup in eighteen and seeing the boys play the course in match play made a huge difference. I started to see the course a different way. You know, you always play it in June, it's firm and bouncy. Uh, and actually realized that there is a lot of birdies to be made on that. Course, but when you play the 72-hole French Open uh, in, in June, uh, the, the, the scores are never really that amazing. So it gave me another perspective on, on how to play the course. And I think that that, that helped with the way I played uh, in uh, in October. Uh, the course was softer, you could get more control on the golf ball, the weather could have been worse. You know, people have said, oh, yeah, the weather was shit, but trust me, in October around Paris or Belgium, <laughs> I, mean, in, I mean, you know what it's like, you're from the UK, you don't really play in the sun and 30 degrees every day of the year, but uh, but it could have been a lot worse. So, um, but yeah, the, the aftermath of of all this is the situation I was in, almost losing my cards. To uh, to now having an exemption and adding the French Open, the, the oldest uh, national open on the continent, on my resume
1: is, uh, is something open that I'm really proud of. How about this little character, man? This is me and the, the BKO.
2: Yeah, that's the little guy. He was uh, he would have been uh, he would have been six months
1: old or something. That's the first tournament he came to. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mate look at that looking smart always wearing you always look smart mate always wearing a nice shirt looking pretty suave you and your good lady wandering around as well and that brings me to my other question how is mum and daddy Morgan uh Morgan sorry mum and daddy Daddy. cold As as you then
2: yeah I love your parents (laughs) I remember your dog Ozzy as well (laughs) Ozzy after Ozzy Osbourne yeah I'm pretty sure yeah uh but uh no everything's great uh uh, we we love living down here with the wife and the little guy, um, you know, as, as most people know now, my, my wife is, is Australian, so uh, Belgium is not the first destination for Australians when they come to Europe, they find it a bit cold and a bit bland, and the coastline is not long enough for them. So living here with <laughs> other friends uh, in a swimsuit and, uh, and sunglasses every day is, is much more uh, to her tune. And uh, and my parents, uh, my parents are great. They're still they're still in Belgium. They of course find just like everyone else. My dad was, uh, uh, was going a bit crazy, only being allowed to chip in the garden, uh, not be able to go to the gym. My dad is 73, and he goes three mornings a week to the gym, and every other of the week he, he he goes to the golf course. So he's uh, he's still up and running, physically fit, uh, mentally there, uh, and. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to Brussels in the next couple of days. So I'm I'm actually driving to the UK to visit the UK. So I'm flying up Thursday now um, to see the parents with the little guy for a couple of days because they haven't seen him since February. Uh, that's that's the only thing that my that, that my parents suffer from is is is. I mean, I've always lived in Belgium till five years ago, and 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 now uh, they don't really see us
1: uh, as much as they like. So uh, I'm just going to go and spend a few days in Brussels. Well, I'm, uh, I'm actually working at uh, Hanbury Manor, so I'll be seeing you there. And mm. I'm working the Wells Open, but not the week before. So if you fancy a little bat and try and take my money, and I'll try and take your money, uh, around the local little golf course at Clevedon, you know, if you've got a week off, spare. I'm um, sure you'll probably go home and have a nice little week off. But uh, if you do fancy a little bat with me, mate, and a little warm-up, free, free uh, 2010 golf course, just let me know, all right? Uh, yeah,
2: sure. Uh, and, 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 you know,
1: the... the the, the
2: thing is, with, with people like you, John, you can call me up anytime and we'll go play. It's not like, oh, no, sorry, it doesn't really fit in my schedule, all that. Yes, <laughs> That's like, true. Like, well. so I
0: reckon I could <laughs> sell tickets for that little match-up and make a pretty penny as well. There's a lot of golfers that would love to see you guys going head-to-head. Two of the, the best shot makers Europe's produced in the last sort of 20 years, I think. That would be quite yeah. a contest.
2: Yeah, I think that Seminole and that other thing that was on TV a couple of months ago would look like shit compared to us having a good there. I think the trash talk could definitely
0: be better between you two. Definitely,
1: <laughs> uh, ain't there yeah. much trash talk, man? We just love one another. We just get on, work so well. We have so much back, you know, good good talks on the golf course. So I, I mean, I miss it, and that's the one thing not playing. I miss being out I'm on sure. the road. Being able to mix with Likes and Nick. Marcel was a close friend as well. And, yeah. you know, Marcel's just a, a crazy, lovable character that like, you can't help but love. And, um, I mean, we had a lovely surprise. We we're over in Mauritius, wasn't it? And uh, I ended up following you. But all of a sudden, I come around this corner and there's Nicholas there and he's just come off his win in France. And I'm like, oh, man, I haven't seen him since the win. You know, I didn't even congratulate him. I mean, bad of me. But then I just see a big hug, you know. And, uh, you know, there's this good lady and Marcel and, her, oh, mate, we reflect on so many lovely memories. And I miss them. I miss them daily. And, you know, obviously with what I've had, I've, I've forgotten most of them. So i got to relive them through my man, Nicholas.
2: Well, I mean, if you ask my best friend, Jerome, I'm not the best one that remembers stories. Oh. <laughs> stuff, I'm like, <laughs> no idea. But... Uh, <laughs> But like you, I mean, John, I mean, we go a long way and, I, you know, there are people like that in life that you meet and you know that it doesn't matter how long you don't see them, but, but as soon as you see them, it, it's, it's like you, it's like you were with them, the, you were with them yesterday and you definitely somebody like that and I'm really uh, happy that
1: I've met him like that. Yeah, brothers from another mother. Pretty much, yeah,
2: pretty much, yeah. We could, <laughs> it's, <really laughs> a good thing. it's probably a good thing you went off and played in America for a I, by, I, John, I,
0: I, I was going to say, if John had stayed on tour, would you have stayed on the straight and narrow long enough to qualify for a Ryder Cup and to get into a Ryder Cup? Or would there have been too many Miami distractions?
2: Who knows? Maybe Radica, Maybe, maybe John would have become a Ryder Cup player as well.
0: Well, what a partnership that might have been in a Ryder Cup, Morgan and oh my I, god. I
1: actually do believe in hearts of hearts, if I'd have stayed in Europe, I'd have uh, probably fulfilled more of my potential as a golfer, that's for sure. But I think, uh, yeah, America I got carried away a bit too much. I was on my own and left to my own devices. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I had no one really to be back in. It was like, no, full systems go.
2: <laughs> I know that face so much. Like, like you, can, you can just, that face tells a million stories. But thank <laughs> like, you. Yeah. Some people, yeah. Some people. I mean, I, I went over to the US. I, I figured it wasn't really for me, but uh, and I did it later in life, uh, later in my in my career. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like who knows? Yeah, you would have stayed in Europe. Maybe you would have uh, you would have done better. But I, that wouldn't necessarily mean that it would have made you a better person. So, no, um, it's true, mate.
1: Do you think it's really hard though, talking about US and European tour when you're conflicted between both? You know, is it? You know, unless you're a top 50 in the world and you can pick and choose and go wherever you like, um, you know, do you focus just on one or do you just flip between the both and try and make the perfect marriage? Or is it just not impossible? It's it's impossible to do that. What do you recommend? Just staying on one and focus? What, What do you think?
2: The thing with the U.S. is that when you start to get the habit of playing in the U.S., you get better because the competition is 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 better, the players are better, the mid-range players are better. So you're almost better off focusing in the U.S. because when you come back in Europe, you will feel like you have uh, a bit of an edge because your you, 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 you game of, of would have normally kind of stepped up a notch. Uh, the only thing with the US that's difficult is trying to gain confidence there. Like if you go there with half half of a game, it, it can quickly become a lonely place if you don't play up to your potential. And you, you wouldn't most likely find it there in the first couple of years you go there when you're trying to find your habits and find your your your, your mode or your style of, of, of living over there. I think I like the same as you. I think I went over there in the US maybe a year too early that if I would have stayed in Europe after 2011-12 maybe I would have uh, maybe become a, a, a much more sound player with a bit more total package and I might have been able to tackle the U, the, the US in a, in a bit better frame of mind than, than when I, I played my two years it. there's no there's no perfect recipe. I mean, it can go very quickly uh, over there. I mean, Olsen was in a little bit the same case I did. He started to play in the U.S. the same time as I did. It didn't really work out. Came back. So, and then, I mean, yeah. I, I said it again, and you know it better than I do. I mean, living in Europe is, is, has a different, a different smell, a different charm, and some people are able to go there and do it perfectly, and some others just simply aren't.
0: One guy who True is man. doing it pretty successfully, going from one to the other, is John Rahm. We kind of got to mention him this week. He is the new world number one, John. I know you followed him pretty closely as well, Nick. Have you had much experience playing with or seeing John Rahm?
2: No, not really. We played with them when Peters and I we played the World Cup in Melbourne, Kingston, he took a couple of years ago. Uh, and yeah, you could definitely see that. Uh, he, he, I mean, apart the fact that he, that he is, of course, a, a, a a very very good player but it's the drive it's the it's the face it's the eyes it's the you can just see that he's looking for something else You can see right away yeah, yeah. and most people if you look at sevi if you look at paula when they come from that special region of spain they are like that they're they're, they're they, they've got pretty hard heads they they, they are uh, um they're, they're, they're very strong, opinionated people, and they like to prove people wrong. Uh, and, and I think uh, Ram definitely has that in his DNA, and the reason why he's, uh, he's, uh, he's become the player he is now, yeah.
1: Have you played Mirafield Village, uh, Nicholas.
2: have you played Mirafield Village? Yes, I, I played Mirafield Village. I played twice, if not three times. Uh, I, right after I won the, the match play championship in Finca in twelve. I ended up having an invitation to go and play. This was, I mean, maybe two or three weeks after, or four weeks after. Um, yeah, it's an amazing place. Uh, I mean, that's one thing of of courses like this that when you play a practice round and you see four flags right away on the when you're on the fairway, and like these unbelievably well-designed courses in America, wherever. It's it's amazing to hit balls off the fairway from uh, Put on light glass greens and yeah yeah, it's one of the really really cool events that I would tend to miss uh, in America yes. You were known as one of the biggest hitters on the European
0: tour you still are you still get it out there obviously Bryson DeChambeau's grabbed a few headlines for uh, adding some yardage what do you think about what he's done what he's achieved and, and also a little bit of his demeanor on the course that we've seen come out in the last few weeks.
2: Uh, well, I mean, we, we, I think we've all seen from the first minute that we've heard of Bryson DeChambeau that he was a bit of a, 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 bit of a strange cat. Uh, you, you don't really have uh, these kind of super intellectual kind of players. I mean, they, they don't populate usually tours. Uh, the only one that comes to mind is Eduardo Morinari, who has an engineering degree. Uh, even though I have maybe a bit more favoritism for, for Eduardo than I do for Bryson. But uh, but I, the, the thing that amazes me the most is how he's able to keep it in play as much as he does. Uh, I mean, we've all tried to step up on drives up 20% and we've all lost uh, numerous dozens of goal balls trying to do it. I, I think the way he's able to keep it in play is what I find the most remarkable about all this
1: yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more I mean I I just think I, I'm worried about one day just watching him hit a golf ball and the knee goes pop or the ankle goes crack and something like that because you just think he's just going 10 nilly and where does he stop though Nick because I mean we're well I'm not slender as you but you know I mean I put a bit of meat on the bone over the years but I mean this guy's gone to like 240 Right. And you've got Rory pound for pound at 155 or something like that. And he's at 240. I mean, is he trying to get to like 250, 260? Where, where'd you stop?
2: I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, he, he would be the only one who can give you an answer of what the, the, the end goal But he's ridiculizing the golf courses. He's every time I didn't, I don't really watch a lot of golf on TV, but every time I, I, he came on the screen, he seemed like he was pitching to a green from 50 yards out.
1: Mate, I am 36 waist, right? He's probably about <laughs> there, I reckon. It,
2: right. the it,
0: what what size is he going? What size is he at. going? <laughs> no, he's showing his waist on. And, uh, yeah, it's wide. It's wide. I mean, one of the things that struck me about Bryson is, yeah, I mean, we spoke in our first episode, John, you've got to respect what he's done and what he's achieved in a golfing sense. But, I mean, he's rubbing a lot of people up the wrong way with that demeanour on the golf course. the way. You know, in making that 10, the little disagreement with the rules official, it's like, well, if you've asked an official into giving an opinion, he knows what he's talking about. Call him for the second. The way in which he did it, it was very disrespectful. Then getting the caddy to walk in front of the cameraman so that he couldn't film Bryson walking away in that bad moment to protect the brand or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I you're two guys that have played for millions of pounds, still do in Nick's case. You know, and a lot of that is because fans are watching and because the sponsors are interested if if people weren't watching and then there wouldn't be the millions of pounds to play for and there wouldn't be those sponsorship deals so from a player's perspective do you look at him behaving in such a way and and kind of hurting his own brand really and think oh you've you're missing the point a little bit there or perhaps just just be a little bit more savvy about you know we all get angry on the golf course of course we do but just take a breath, take a step back before opening your mouth kind of thing.
2: I think I, I would look at it a different way. He's the only guy in the last, since Tiger, who has really taken golf a different direction and he's made his research and, I, like I said, it takes a, a, a different mind to be able to take his golf game from where it was to where it is now. Mm-hmm. So there is a little part of autism in that, in a, in, in a way. And you cannot ask somebody that, that, I mean, we've all witnessed the way he's gone about his golf game the last couple of months. You cannot ask him to be Roger Federer in front of the camera. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> a good it's analogy. Possible. It, takes, it takes a mind that doesn't work like yours or mine to be able to what he's done not to take his defense whatsoever. Of course, I'm always in favor of somebody that is nice to people and, and to almost be too much in the lines. But he's definitely not into that same line that you and I uh, are, are, are like. Uh, but everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about <laughs> it. So, it is, you no. Know, in, in, in a way, and, uh, and that's what Brooks said. Brooks said, you, know, you have to give them the... the, the he, he deserves every, every applause or, or yeah, take, take your hat off to a guy like that that's been able to go into his own world and cave and research and believe in what he's doing. I mean, at the, at the end of this, uh, we all have to believe in, in every direction that we go. in other words, there's no point in doing it. Taking it to the extreme, yes, but he's never going to be uh, your, your Roger Federer in front of the camera. And, but does, does the man that watches TV... Like him driving it 380ks. No, no,
1: no. exactly. Don't be so. I got one last one. I got one last one for you. The rude fella. (laughs) Don't be. (laughs) I got one last one for you though, Nick. Uh, Give us a funny tour tale, man. That's happened in the last. Well, since you were on tour, give us one funny instance, including different players that has uh, come your way, and you still makes you chuckle when you look back at it.
2: Uh, about others, I don't, there's nothing that really comes to my mind, but uh, when I was nominated for, there was these two tales kind of little video when we were in confinement and I was hesitating between two stories. And the, 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 the one I didn't, I didn't go for was, I was flying, funny enough, to Murfield Village. And <laughs> for whatever reason, I think it was gonna be one of my last events in the US and I didn't care much anymore, but Murfield Village was different. So I decided to fly quite late, on I think I was going to fly on the Tuesday to the U.S. So we get there like Tuesday late. Uh, nice. I thought it would have been good enough because I wasn't in program anyway. And uh, so I connect from Brussels to Washington. And in Washington, there's this huge storm. So I get uh, put on the next flight, which is like I don't know, 10 o'clock at night or blah, blah, blah. Waiting, I'm waiting. This thing gets canceled. So I'm stuck in Washington and I'm like, if, if this gets sour the next day, I might not actually make it. So I ended up thinking I'm gonna like drive to Murphy Village, which is Washington, Ohio. It's like eight or nine hours. And uh, so I go down. I'm trying to recuperate or to to get hold of my luggage. Uh, I spot my golf bag in the corner, I've taken that, and then I'm seeing this Chinese looking guy who's in charge of the lost luggage. And I'm like, excuse me, excuse me, I I, I, I need to find my suitcase. Okay, okay, okay. Don't tell me it's black. Since <laughs> 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 then I have not used a black suitcase ever again because once it's get lost, don't tell me it's black. And yeah. um so I get hold of my bag. And I see this line of taxi, uh, and I'm like, guys, I get a, get a bit of a special one. Does anybody want to drive to Ohio? And they're all looking at me like, Jesus Christ, who's this guy? So I get a hold of a guy who drove me from Washington Dulles Airport to Merkel Village on the meter. He wouldn't, do me a, he wouldn't do me a fix. He got me on the meter. I think he cost 900 and something. I still have a picture, a snap of this. Of, of the meter I, sl- I slept on the passenger seat the whole night I got there and uh, and I got met by all these all the caddies in the canty and I, I was like sit down I'm gonna tell you how I just I just got here so it it, like, it, was, it was pretty uh, it was one of the one of the good ones but we all have these traveling stories where you fly Cool, yeah yeah one thing that you need to know when you when you do travel
1: for, for a living is that you never get there earlier than expected <laughs> yeah, that's true. Any advice for young young bucks coming up and through, mate? We're seeing a load because obviously me and Kit work on the PJ Europe Tour, which is like a developmental tour, as you well know. Uh, I think you played one or two in your day before. But any kind of advice for the for the youngsters coming through that are on the Channel's tour at the moment and fighting for a place out there?
2: Well, I think that everybody, you know, if they're good enough, everybody gets their break. Um... Uh, you just have to believe in yourself. You have to do your hours. You have to try to to have the right people around you. Listen to advices from people that have been there. It doesn't have to. You don't have to. I mean, over over the course of my career, I, I remember things, little things that have been said by people around me, and um, you kind of collect everything, keep them in your in your memory box, and uh, and someday you go. Uh, that's why they told me this five, six, seven, eight, ten years ago. So uh, yeah. it's a long journey. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens for some, but uh, but not on a regular basis. So it's, it's, it's a long journey. Uh, but I mean, you you and I will die with with, with golf club in our hands. Uh, so it's something we we have in our blood. Uh, so it's uh, difficult to uh, you know it, what I would. Tend to like doing is is I, I did this with the French national squad. You know they they, they have this uh, one of their practice uh, venues is is nearby here, and I went and played with them twice. And uh, that's what I like doing: I take kids that that play well, but look like they you just need to sharpen the edges and give them little tips of here and there and this and that. You need to improve maybe on the, this or. I think that's a, that's a much easier thing than, than just giving one advice like this uh, on, on somebody sure. that has a full colored goatee.
1: I can't help it, Matt. I, it's easy to wash up. I ain't sticking with it. I might stick with it for today for you and take a few photos. i right? And play with yeah. Louis Doe later, and uh, he's got a little medal, and I'm able to join in with him. Not playing in a medal, but I'm able to play alongside. So He's just got himself down to scratch, so he's happy as Larry, but he's going to look at this and go, what on earth have you done, John? as he always yeah, does. We'll
0: a picture of John's beard up on, uh, on the Twitter. It is in homage to Nick. He is coloured in the Belgian colours, his beard, basically. Um, right. It looks incredible, especially with a very bright bandana. So we'll get a picture up. Um, that's all we've got time for today. An absolutely massive thanks for Nicholas Colsarts for taking the time to come on. Uh, we covered so much, but in particular, I mean, reliving the miracle at Medina, as you say get goosebumps even just looking back on it now. Johnny Morgan, as ever, was magnificent. Some great tales there. Um, I've been Kit Alexander. Please share, subscribe and review if you've liked what you've listened to. The more reviews, the more shares we get, the easier it is for people to find us. Follow us on Filthy Lipout at Twitter and you can email us, FilthyLipOut at hotmail.com. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next time.